Revelation chapter 5. Verse 1, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open the, to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And it made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Again, we're in the courtroom of heaven. So title the message tonight, The Lion of Judah Hath Prevailed. The Lion of Judah Hath Prevailed. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you for this book of the Bible that tells us the consummation of all things about our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. And I pray tonight as we look under the word of God and consider this passage, I pray that we be encouraged and strengthened in our resolve to be faithful till you come for us. Even so come, Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we think about it, continue here, chapters 4 and chapter 5. Of course, we, it's the scene as a courtroom, you might say, in heaven. We've been judged for our works, our conduct as children of God. We have cast our crowns. Verse 10 of chapter 4 tells us we've cast our crowns before him. You know, all this is still yet future. We've cast our crowns before him, for it is all by his marvelous grace. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, he said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so, that's the scene. And now, but now, it is time to bring all things under the Lord's dominion. To end 6,000 years plus of rebellion against God and the creator of all things. See, now is the time. That's what we're looking at tonight. Now is the time. When God is going to begin, of course, this is the future, but God is going to begin to bring all things back under his dominion. So as we consider this tonight, I want to notice several things. First of all, the world has been under Satan's dominion since sin entered the world. If you notice in verses 1 and 2 it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on a throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Now the question is, what is this seven-sealed book? What is this seven-sealed book? Well, many call it the title deed to the earth, and I think that's a good description. The title deed to the earth. But as we think about the seven-sealed book and what it really contains and what it is, you know, if you read, if you read further on, for example, in chapter 6, it says, and when I saw the Lamb opened one of the seals. So when the Lamb, who was found worthy to open the book, begins to open the seals, what begins is God's judgment upon wicked and rebellious mankind. That's what begins. It opens the seal. He opens the seals, and the seventh seals, and, and they're all the seals are all judgments upon man and his rebellion against God. It's during the tribulation period, which will be in heaven with the Lord. That's where we'll be during this time. But so he's beginning. These seals are all judgments that have, and we'll see them later on as we continue this book. And so he begins to open the seventh seals, and at the seventh seal, then opens the trumpet judgments. The seventh seal, the angel opens the seventh seal, and the, then there's angels sent out with these trumpets. And they begin to blow these trumpets, and then there's more judgments. They're, they're really jump judgments. And then the seventh trumpet opens the seven vial judgments, which will end all of the judgments. We see this, of course, in chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half hour. And then the seven trumpets begin to sound. And in chapter 15, in verse 1, chapter 15, verse 1, again it says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. In other words, the finishing of God's wrath is going to be in these seven last plagues, which will be the vile or the bold judgments. So this is this seven seal book contains the judgments of God, 
the conclusion of which will bring all things under his authority. And that's, that's, the, that's the, the purpose of these judgments. For, for you notice it says in chapter 11, verse 15, and, and chapters 11 through uh, 15 are kind of like a commercial break and telling us some of the things that are going on during the judgments, during the tribulation period. The other, the other chapters really talk about the judgments itself, but, but these books tell us some of the things that are going on during that time. You know, again, the book of Revelation is like a lot of other books in the Bible. It's not chronological. You can't read it chronologically and say, well, this happened, then you know, chapter 4 happens, then chapter 5, then chapter 6, then chapter 7. No, it's not, it's not written that way. Uh, but chapter 11, verse, uh, what I say, verse 15 says this, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You see, the purpose of this, what's in this seven-sealed book then is, the deed of the earth to bring it back under the Lord's dominion. And the way he's going to bring that to conclusion is to pour out his wrath, his judgment upon rebellious, wicked mankind, who for 6,000 years God has given opportunity to repent. Now, to just give a little background here, how did this dominion get out of God's hand? Well, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, and I do believe we've mentioned this before, but bears repeating. Repetition is the key to learning, they say. In Genesis 1 verse 26, the Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth. And the word dominion here means to have rule or to reign over. So man was really the king in his earth. He had rule and reign over the earth. That was what God gave to him. You see, man is above all other creatures. He's not on the same, you know, you know for, and for 6,000 years, man has been trying to put himself down with, with animals, saying we're just nothing than a higher created animal. But not according to the word of God, we're not. But man surrendered this dominion when he sinned. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Every tree of the garden thou mayest eat thereof, thou mayest eat, freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou shalt eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Romans 5, 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all that sin. You see, this surrender, this giving in to the devil, this surrender of the devil, put man and with him all, all the earth under the dominion of the devil. That's what the devil was trying to do when he tempted Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus to put himself under him. But that's what man did. 
And he put himself and all of the earth, all the creatures, under the dominion of the devil, of Satan. And that power that Satan has over mankind is death. It's death. All the earth is subjected to it. And who holds it? Who holds that power? Well, Hebrews 2 tells us very clearly who holds that power. Hebrews 2, verse 14, says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that is, Jesus took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So the Bible tells us clearly that Satan had dominion over man. He had the power of death. And it was surrendered to him by Adam. When he ate of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the time has come. As we consider Revelation chapter 5. The time has come, the day all history and time has been in anticipation for, that Daniel wrote about. You know, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, in verses 1 through 4, Daniel said this, And at that time shall Michael stand up, that great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to the same time. And at that time... Thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. That time of trouble he's talking about is tribulation. That's how Matthew describes it. And verse 2 says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to have shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. They that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book. Even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. But see, God tells Daniel, he tells Daniel about it a little bit, but he says, you shut up the book. Till the time of the end. Well, when we come to Revelation chapter 5, the end has come. We're talking about the time of the end now. So this is the time Daniel was wrote about. And so now is the time where God's going to take dominion back from the old devil. But I want you to notice the second thing here. Notice man's great problem. Verse 3 and 4. And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open the book and to read the book, neither to look thereon. So we have a great problem. He says no man was found worthy to, to open the book, to take the book and open it. You see, there was not found you know, when he says no man, that he means there was not found any man throughout all of time that was qualified, that was worthy. The word worthy means of weighing, having weight, weighing as much as another thing, of like value. 
of like worth as much. That's the idea. So there's no man that's as worthy. There's no man that can undo what has been done. Satan has the dominion. There's no man worthy to take it from him. He was the anointed cherub. He was Lucifer, son of the morning. And there's no man with the the weight of power and authority as he has. Man. You know, I cringe sometimes. I've heard preachers say when they're praying, and Satan, I bind you tonight. Even Michael the archangel said, the Lord rebuke thee. We don't have that power. You see, there's no man worthy. Well, preacher, why don't we just call up Noah? Well, oh, we got a problem. Noah became drunk. So he's not worthy. Well, how about Abraham? He was called the friend of God. Well, Abraham went down to Egypt and he lied. Well, what about Moses? The man that talked with God face to face. The meekest man on the earth at his time. Surely Moses. He, Moses even said, The Lord will raise up a prophet like unto me, and him shall you hear. Surely Moses. But Moses struck the rock. Twice. What about David? Well, no, David sinned with Bathsheba. What about Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah said, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit preaching. What about John the Baptist? Jesus said, not a greater man born a woman than John. Well, John questioned whether Jesus was the one or not. He said, he sent, sent his disciples. Jesus said, uh, are you the one or should we look for another? You know, Jesus didn't belittle John for that. In fact, he said, there's not a man, greater man born a woman than John. You see, the verdict is, Man cannot redeem himself. He cannot redeem himself because man is a sinner. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Now there were just men on the earth. There are just men on the earth. But there are not men who have not sinned. See, God called Noah a just man. He called Lot a just man. See, there are just men on the earth, but there are not just men who have not sinned. That are without sin. So therefore, mortal man is unworthy to open the book. In other words, mortal man is unable, incapable to redeem himself. He cannot redeem himself. He is not fit. He is not worthy. But you notice the third thing. 
The solution is the Lion of Judah. Notice verse 5 through 7. It says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. He says, Weep not, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he hath prevailed. Who is this lion? Well, we know who it is. But Isaiah speaks of him in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Excuse me. In verse 1 he says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. That's the root of David there. A branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with a breathless lips shall he slay the wicked. Now this is, of course, a clear reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, when Matthew started his gospel, he said this in Matthew 1, 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. You see, he's the offspring. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. He is the son of David. Paul said in Romans chapter uh, 1, when he started his epistle to Rome, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which is made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. You see, this one who is of the seed of David, who is the Son of God, has declared himself to be the Son of God with power and holiness. He lived a life that was worthy. He is worthy. He is of value. He has the merit to take out of that old devil the title to the earth and redeem us. And all of creation. Revelation 22.16 describes him as the as the uh, it says I Jesus has sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And he hath prevailed. You know that word prevailed means to absolutely carry off the victory to come off victorious over all his foes you know he has so conquered that he now has the right and power to open the book he has conquered absolutely you know the disciples bore testimony to this in fact Paul or Peter's I think it's Peter's first sermon after the day of Pentecost. 
probably was still on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, makes reference to this when he says in Acts 2, 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and forerunners of God, ye have taken by wicked hands, have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed, loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding that. You see, we were all our lifetime subject to bondage, to bondage of death, but Christ hath loosed those pains of death because he, he has conquered death. And he has loosed them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 22 to 28, 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, and verses 22 to 28, well, verse 21 says, For an for since by Adam came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, talking about Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made lie. But every man after his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, after way they that are Christ that is coming, then cometh the end, when he shall, and this is what we're talking about, the end right here, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. See, this is the seed of the woman that Genesis 3.15 talked about that struck a death blow. To Satan's head. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and he hath prevailed. You, Daniel, also spoke of this. In go to Daniel chapter seven. Daniel chapter seven. You know, there's such harmony in the in the scriptures. It, it's it's amazing, but Daniel seven. And Daniel very clearly it tells us that how what Revelation eleven fifteen says he's going to take make all the kingdoms of the earth or he's going to reign over them. He's going to destroy them. Daniel seven verse one says in the first year of Belshazzar king of Babylon Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed and then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said I saw in my vision by night and behold the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. Four great beasts come up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion, and had an eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth, and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Behold another beast, and a second like another beast, a second like a bear to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it, and they said thus unto it, Rise, devour much flesh flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, Another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. It had great iron teeth that devoured and break in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, just for a little explanation here, the lion pictures... Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. He was an absolute monarch. 
It's like a lion. The bear, uh, and it's interesting, you know, it's lifted up on one side. I'm not sure the significance of the three ribs, but, but the Medo-Persian Empire was a dual empire, but one side was stronger than the other. The Persians. That's why it's lifted up on one side. You know, that was very descriptive. Uh, and it devoured much flesh. They were the largest landmass-wise of all the empires. They were larger than Nebuchadnezzar landmass-wise. However, they were they were sort of like a, in some sense, more of a. They weren't absolute monarch like Nebuchadnezzar was. He was an absolute monarch. Then you have the leopard, which speaks of Greece. Of course, these are pictured as other other things. The, the, the statue that Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Saul also tells us, but the leopard, of course, a leopard had in wings. You think of something that moves very fast, and Nebuchadnezzar moved, or not Nebuchadnezzar, speaks of Alexander the Great in the Grecian Empire. He moved very swiftly. He didn't have a big army, but he moved very fast. He conquered much territory in a very short time. And there were four heads, four wings of the fowl. After he died, he had four generals take over his empire. And then the fourth one, dreadful and strong, terrible, exceeding, great iron teeth. It's Rome. There was none as powerful as Rome to this day. And it had seven ten heads and ten horns. I think that's talking about the revived Roman Empire, the European Union. But if we read on here, he says, I considered the horns, and behold, there come up among them another little horn, which is the Antichrist, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And we'll look at that when we get to Revelation 13. But anyway, verse 9 says, And I beheld, till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued forth, came forth from before him. Thousand thousands minutes unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the judgment was set, and the books were open. We just read that in Revelation chapter 5. Ten thousand times ten thousand. And then I held then because of the voice of the great words with the horn spake, and I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. You know, the old, the, old, uh, the horn or the Antichrist is going to be cast into the lake of fire. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man come with clouds of heavens and come to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which not shall not be destroyed. Of course, that's referring to the kingdom of Christ. You know, Daniel was given that vision, but Daniel was told, seal up the book for the time of the end. I'm here to tell you, friends, that time is now. What John is telling us is, this is the time. When the book's going to be open, 
And the Lord is about to avenge his elect. He's about to avenge his elect. Now I want you to notice the fourth thing here. This is what all history has been waiting for. This is the time. Verses 8 through 10. You, 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 even you, if you go into the, the, the uh, um, grocery store, every once in a while you'll see, like on these far-out magazines, like the Philadelphia Inquirer, the National Inquirer, you know, they're talking about the apocalypse. The apocalypse, the end times, and all this stuff, you know. I mean, it's coming. They know it's coming. I mean, they don't understand it. They got it all twisted and, you know, uh, perverted, but it's coming. And this is what's been, but this is what all history has been waiting for. If you notice in verses 8 through 10, I want to notice two things here. First, first of all, this is the anticipation of the prayers of the saints. In verse 8 he says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders, and those elders represent the saints from all of time, fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. They're the prayers of saints. These are the prayers, and these prayers are, are, are poured out. They're golden vials full of odors of the prayers of the saints. Now I want you to think about this. In the model prayer that Jesus gave to us, to pray. What did he say we should pray for? Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. This is what he's talking about. Thy kingdom come. You know, this has been the cry of the martyrs throughout history. In Revelation chapter 6, Verses 9 and 10. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw unto the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? How long? How long, Lord, till your kingdom come? How long to thy kingdom? Your Abel's blood still cries from the ground. How long? You know, Enoch prophesied of this in Jude, verses 14 and 15. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things. These say, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know, Abraham looked for it. God's people have always been looking for this day. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 8. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in a land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And notice verse 10. For he looked for a city 
which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith, Sarah also, also Sarah herself received strength through conceived seed, was delivered a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared, prepared for them a city. And Revelation 21 tells us about that city. You see, all throughout history, God's people have been anticipating this time. They've been waiting for it. Abraham looked for it. Now, I'm not a date setter, but with the things that are happening in our world, I think the time is near. I really do. Pastor sent me an email the other day. Bradley was just looking at it for church about Catholics and Muslims signing an agreement. And he had a caption over it, and I don't know if the pastor wrote that before it was a foreword, but, the, but the, the caption said, looks like the end is here. You know, people have said for years, and I've heard this, because, you know, the Bible talks about in the last days, during tribulation periods, there's going to be a one-world religion. And we'll see that when we get to later on Revelation. How are the Catholics... And the Muslims are going to get together. And I've always said it'll be easy. They both have the same father. You're of your father the devil. I mean, the wicked can hate each other but still get together. And they're going to get together. You know, they're going to get together for a time. They only have to do it for seven years. You know, they're, they're signing agreements now. They're signing agreements now. The two largest, the largest two religions in the world are getting together. And everyone, here's the thing, everyone is gathering together against New Testament Christianity. With the Catholics are the Protestants. They've already signed agreements. You know, I've heard fundamentalists say, well, the Protestants will side with us. No, they won't. No, they won't. When push comes to shove, they won't. I mean, they persecuted us for history for, for, for hundreds of years. They won't. And, you know, we say, what about all the other religions of the world? All the other religions of the world, most of them, are polytheistic. That means they believe in many gods or many ways to gods. And the Roman Catholics have never had problems with working with them. Never. See, you don't have to have convictions to be a Catholic. 
You just have to learn to get along or use people, which is what they do. But you know, you know, again, this is the anticipation, but it will not come. You know, the Lord says he's not willing that any should perish. You know, it's like Brother Bishop, I heard him say something about this twice. You know, when that last soul, you may be witnessing to that last soul. When that last soul gets saved, then it will come. So this is the anticipation of the saints, what history has been waiting for, what God's people have been praying for. But I want to notice lastly, it will be a time for a new anthem. If you notice in verse 9, it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Hast made us under our God kings and priests, and we shall reign in the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders and the throne. number of them was ten thousand times ten thousands, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This is a new anthem. We're going to sing that new song. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. You know, that's going to be a glorious day. You know, he is worthy. He has the weight, the value, the merit to open, to take the book and open the seals. He was the spotless lamb. The holy, undefiled Son of God. The one who could say to his enemies, which of you convinceth me of sin? He was the God-man that was without sin, that could not sin. And all of, the Bible tells us here that, and I don't understand this, that all of creation will cry out. Verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. You know, maybe it's just they gave a sigh of relief. You know, the mice are giving a sigh of relief that the cats won't just eat them anymore. And the cat, that the dog won't attack him. Because there will be no more death, even in the animal kingdom. You know, all that is the fruit, the result of man's sin. So all of creation will cry out. You know, it'll be a wonderful, glorious day. You ever try to think of what it'd be like to live without temptation? I mean... You children will never be tempted to disobey your parents again. 
Oh, there's a wonderful country that the saints of God look forward to. Where the streets are all made of purest of gold. And we're going to live in beautiful mansions. And nobody up there will ever grow old. You know, and John said in 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. See, the time has come when the Lord is going to take back the kingdoms of this world. That now, in this day and time, lie comfortably in the lap of the old devil. John says the whole world lieth in wickedness. And that's the word picture there. They lie comfortable like a little child, like Mia, sitting comfortably on daddy's lap. She's not worried about anything. And that's the way the world is right now in the lap of Satan. Under his dominion. But one day, it's all going to end. And the Lord Jesus is going to take back what is rightfully his. Because it was made for him, by him, and for his pleasure, and for his glory. We ought to rejoice in that truth. That someday... And it may be soon. You know, we don't know when it's going to be, but we know, we believe it's imminent. That means it could happen at any moment. We don't know when, but it could happen at any moment. And we need to live in light of that, looking unto him, the author and finish of our faith. Might we rejoice in that blessed hope. Let's pray.